Chapter Eighteen of Is He Pope and Joy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Is He Pope and Joy by Anthony Trollope? Chapter Eighteen Lord George Up in London. Lord George returned to town the day after the lecture, and was not altogether pleased that his wife should have gone to the disabilities. She thought, indeed, that he did not seem to be in a humor to be pleased with anything. His mind was thoroughly disturbed by the coming of his brother, and perplexed with the idea that something must be done, though he knew not what, and he was pervaded by a feeling that in the present emergency it behoved him to watch his own steps, and more especially those of his wife. An anonymous letter had reached Lady Sarah signed, a friend of the family, in which it was stated that the Marquis of Brotherton had allied himself to the highest blood that Italy knew, marrying into a family that had been noble before English nobility had existed, whereas his brother had married the granddaughter of a stable-keeper and a tallow chandler. This letter had, of course, been shown to Lord George, and, though he and his sisters agreed in looking upon it as an emanation from their enemy, the new marchioness, it still gave them to understand that she, if attacked, would be prepared to attack again, and Lord George was open to attack on the side indicated. He was, on the whole, satisfied with his wife. She was ladylike, soft, pretty, well-mannered, and good to him. But her grandfathers had been stable-keepers and tallow-chandlers. Therefore it was specially imperative that she should be kept from injurious influences. Lady Selina Protest and Aunt Jew, who were both well-born, might take liberties, but not so his wife. I don't think that was a very nice place to go to, Mary. It wasn't nice at all, but it was very funny. I never saw such a vulgar creature as the Baroness, throwing herself about and wiping her face. Why should you go and see a vulgar creature throw herself about and wipe her face? Why should anybody do it? One likes to see what is going on, I suppose. The woman's vulgarity cannot hurt me, George. It could do you no good. Lady Selina Protest was there, and I went with Miss Mildmay. Two old maids who have gone crazy about women's rights because nobody has married them. The whole thing is distasteful to me, and I hope you will not go there again. That I certainly shall not, because it is very dull, said Mary. I hope, also, that independently of that, my request would be enough. Certainly it would, George, but I don't know why you should be so cross to me. I don't think that I have been cross, but I am anxious specially anxious there are reasons why i have to be very anxious in regard to you and why you have to be yourself more particular than others what reasons she asked this with a look of bewildered astonishment he was not prepared to answer the question and shuffled out of it muttering some further words as to the peculiar difficulty of their position then he kissed her and left her telling her that all would be well if she would be careful if she would be careful all would be well if she would be careful why should there be need of more care on her part than on that of others she knew that all this had reference in some way to that troublesome lady and troublesome baby who were about to be brought home but she could not conceive how her conduct could be specially concerned it was a sorrow to her that her husband should allow himself to be ruffled about the matter at all it was a sorrow also that her father should do so as to herself 
she had an idea that if providence chose to make her a marchioness providence ought to be allowed to do it without any interference on her part but it would be a double sorrow if she were told that she mustn't do this and mustn't do that because there was before her a dim prospect of being seated in a certain high place which was claimed and occupied by another person and she was aware too that her husband had in very truth scolded her the ladies at manor cross had scolded her before but he had never done so she had got away from manor cross and had borne the scolding because the prospect of escape had been before her but it would be very bad indeed if her husband should take to scold her then she thought that if jack de baron were married he would never scold his wife the dean had not yet gone home and in her discomfort she had recourse to him she did not intend to complain of her husband to her father had any such idea occurred to her she would have stamped it out at once knowing that such a course would be both unloyal and unwise but her father was so pleasant with her so easy to be talked to so easy to be understood whereas her husband was almost mysterious at any rate gloomy and dark papa she said what does george mean by saying that i ought to be more particular than other people does he say so yes and he didn't like my going with that old woman to hear the other woman he says that i ought to not do it though anybody else might i think you misunderstood him no i didn't papa then you had better imagine that he was tired with his journey or that his stomach was a little out of order don't fret about such things and whatever you do make the best of your husband but how am i to know where i may go and where i mayn't am i to ask him everything first don't be a child whatever you do you will soon find out what pleases him and what doesn't and if you manage well what you do will please him whatever his manner may be he is soft-hearted and affectionate i know that papa if he says a cross word now and again just let it go by you should not suppose that words always mean what they seem to mean i knew a man who used to tell his wife ever so often that he wished she were dead good heavens papa whenever he said so she always put a little magnesia into his beer and things went on as comfortably as possible never magnify things even to yourself i don't suppose lord george wants magnesia as yet but you will understand what i mean she said that she did but she had not in truth quite comprehended the lesson as yet nor could her father as yet teach it to her in plainer language on that same afternoon lord george called in berkeley square and saw mrs houghton at this time the whole circle of people who were in any way connected with the germain family or who by the circumstances of their lives were brought within the pale of the germain influence were agog with the marriage of the marquis the newspapers had already announced the probable return of the marquis and the coming of a new marchioness and a new lord popenjoy occasion had been taken to give some details of the germain family and public allusion had even been made to the marriage of lord george these are days in which should your wife's grandfather have ever been insolvent some newspaper in its catering for the public will think it proper to recall the fact the dean's parentage had been alluded to and the late tallowax will and the tallowax property generally it had also been declared that the marchesa luigi now the present marchioness had been born an orsini and also in another paper the other fact that she had been divorced from her late husband 
This had already been denied by Mr. Knox, who had received a telegram from Florence ordering such denial to be made. It may, therefore, be conceived that the Germains were at this moment the subject of much conversation. And it may be understood that Mrs. Houghton, who considered herself to be on a very confidential terms with Lord George, should, as they were alone, ask a few questions and express a little sympathy. How does the dear Marchioness like the new house, she asked? It is tolerably comfortable. That Price is a darling, Lord George. I've known him ever so long, and, of course, it is the dower house. It was the suddenness that disturbed my mother. Of course. And then the whole of it must have gone against the grain with her. You bear it like an angel. For myself, I don't know that I have anything to bear. The whole thing is so dreadful. There you are, and your dear wife, everything just as it ought to be, idolized by your mother, looked up to by the whole country, the very man whom we wish to see the head of such a family. Don't talk in that way, Mrs. Houghton. I know it is very distant, but still, I do feel near enough related to you all to be justified in being proud, and also to be justified in being ashamed. What will they do about calling upon her? My brother will, of course, come to my mother first. Then Lady Sarah and one of her sisters will go over. After that he will bring his wife to Cross Hall if he pleases. I am so glad it is all settled. It is so much better. But you know, Lord George, I must say it to you as I would to my own brother, because my regard for you is the same. I shall never think that that woman is really his wife. Lord George frowned heavily, but did not speak. And I shall never think that that child is really Lord Popenjoy. Neither did Lord George in his heart of hearts believe that the Italian woman was a true marchioness, or the little child a true Lord Popenjoy but he had confessed to himself that he had no adequate reason for such disbelief and had perceived that it would become him to keep his opinion to himself the dean had been explicit with him and that very explicitness had seemed to impose silence on himself to his mother he had not whispered an idea of a suspicion with his sisters he had been reticent though he knew that lady sarah at any rate had her suspicions but now, an open expression of the accusation from so dear a friend as Mrs. Houghton, from the Adelaide de Baron, whom he had so dearly loved, gratified him and almost tempted him into confidence. He had frowned at first, because his own family was to him so august that he could not but frown when anyone ventured to speak of it. Even crowned princes are driven to relax themselves on occasions and lord george germain felt that he would almost like just for once to talk about his brothers and sisters as though they were smiths and joneses it is very hard to know what to think he said mrs houghton at once saw that the field was open to her she had ventured a good deal and knowing the man had felt the danger of doing so but she was satisfied now that she might say almost anything but one is bound to think isn't one don't you feel that it is for the whole family that you have to act what is to be done i can't go and look up evidence but a paid agent can think of mary think of mary's child if she should have one as she said this she looked rather anxiously into his face being desirous of receiving an answer to a question which she did not quite dare to ask 
"'Of course there's all that,' he said, not answering the question. "'I can only just remember him, though. Papa knew him so well. "'But I suppose he has lived abroad till he has ceased to think and feel like an Englishman. "'Could anyone believe that a Marquis of Brotherton would have married a wife long enough ago "'to have a son over twelve months old, and never to have said a word about it to his brother or mother? "'I don't believe it.' "'I don't know what to believe,' said Lord George.' and then to write in such a way about the house. Of course, I hear it talked of by people who won't speak before you, but you ought to know. What do people say? Everybody thinks that there is some fraud. There is old Mrs. Montacute Jones. I don't know anybody who knows everything better than she does, and she was saying that you would be driven by your duty to investigate the matter. I dare say he'd prefer to do nothing, she said but he must. I felt that to be so true. Then Mr. Mildmay, who was so very quiet, said that there would be a lawsuit. Papa absolutely laughed at the idea of the boy being Lord Popenjoy, though he was always on good terms with your brother. Mr. Houghton says that nobody in society will give the child the name. Of course, he's not very bright, but on matters like that he does know what he's talking about. "'When I hear all this, I feel it a great deal, Lord George. "'I know what a friend you are. "'Indeed I am. "'I think very often what I might have been, but could not be. "'And though I am not jealous of the happiness and honours of another, "'I am anxious for your happiness and your honours. "'He was sitting near her, on a chair facing the fire, "'while she was leaning back on the sofa. "'He went on staring at the hot coals, flattered in some sort elate but very disturbed the old feeling was coming back upon him she was not as pretty as his wife but she was he thought more attractive had more to say for herself was more of a woman she could pour herself into his heart and understand his feelings whereas mary did not sympathize with him at all in this great family trouble but then mary was of course his wife and this woman was the wife of another man. He would be the last man in the world, so he would have told himself could he have spoken to himself on the subject. To bring disgrace on himself and misery on other people by declaring his love to another man's wife. He was the last man to do an injury to the girl whom he had made his own wife, but he liked being with his old love, and felt anxious to say a word to her that should have in it something just a little beyond the ordinary tenderness of friendship. The proper word, however, did not come to him at that moment. In such moments, the proper word very often will not come. "'You are not angry with me for saying so,' she asked. "'How can I be angry?' I don't think that there can have been such friendship as there was between you and me, and that it should fade and die away, unless there be some quarrel. You have not quarreled with me. Quarreled with you? Never. And you did love me once. She, at any rate, knew how to find the tender words that were required for her purpose. Indeed I did. It did not last very long, did it, Lord George? It was you that... that... It was you that stopped it. Yes, it was I that stopped it. Perhaps I found it easier to stop than I had expected. But it was all for the best. It must have been stopped. What could our life have been? 
I was telling a friend to mine the other day, a lady, that there are people who cannot afford to wear hearts inside them. If I had jumped at your offer, and there was a moment when I would have done so, was there? Indeed there was, George. The George didn't mean quite as much as it might have meant between others, because they were cousins. But, if I had, the joint home of us all must have been in Mr. Price's farmhouse. It isn't a farmhouse. You know what I mean. But I want you to believe that I thought of you quite as much as of myself, more than of myself. I should at any rate have had brilliant hopes before me. I could understand what it would be to be the Marchioness of Brotherton. I could have borne much for years to think that at some future day I might hang on your arm in London salons as your wife. I had an ambition which now can never be gratified. I, too, can look on this picture and on that. But I had to decide for you as well as for myself, and I did decide that it was not for your welfare, nor for your honor, nor for your happiness, to marry a woman who could not help you in the world. She was now leaning forward and almost touching his arm. I think sometimes that those most nearly concerned hardly know what a woman may have to endure because she is not selfish. How could any man stand this? There are words which a man cannot resist from a woman even though he knows them to be false. Lord George, though he did not quite believe that all these words were sincere, did think that there was a touch of sincerity about them, an opinion which the reader probably will not share with Lord George. Have you suffered, he said, putting out his hand to her and taking hers? Suffered, she exclaimed, drawing away her hands and sitting bolt upright and shaking her head. Do you think that I am a fool not to know? Do you suppose that I am blind and deaf? When I said that I was one of those who could not afford to wear a heart, did you imagine that I had been able to get rid of the article? No, it is here still, and she put her hands upon her side. It is here still, and very troublesome, I find it. I suppose a time will come when it will die away. They say that every plant will fade if it be shut in from the light, and never open to the rains of heaven. Alas, alas, he said, I did not know that you would feel like that. Of course I feel. I have had something to do with my life, and I have done this with it. Two men have honored me with their choice, and out of two I have chosen, Mr. Houghton. I comfort myself by telling myself that I did right, and I did do right, but the comfort is not very comforting. Still he sat looking at the fire. He knew that it was open to him to get up and swear to her that she still had his heart. She could not be angry with him as she had said as much to himself, and he almost believed at the moment that it was so. He was quite alive to the attraction of the wickedness, though, having a conscience, he was aware that the wickedness should, if possible, be eschewed. There is no romance in loving one's own wife. The knowledge that is a duty deadens the pleasure. I did not mean to say all this, she exclaimed at last, sobbing. Adelaide, he said, do you love me? You may love me without anything wrong. Indeed I do. Then there was an embrace, and after that he hurried away, almost without another word. End of chapter 18